Welcome to PWGC's Environmental Echo Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Boyce, uh, President and CEO of PWGC. And today we're going to be talking about a, a really, I mean, uh, unique and interesting topic that we, at our firm, we get a lot of interest from uh, outside folks always asking, can we do this? Do we do that? Uh, always looking for help, you know, wanting to know more and more about this. And that topic is carbon footprinting. You know, and it is, it's, uh, lately it's been a very hot topic, especially with a lot of things that are going on. And uh, we've mentioned things on previous podcasts as far as, like, climate change and, uh, you know, global temperature rise, you know, r- rises, sea level going up. All this stuff is related. Um, but this is an aspect that, you know, like I said, it's, it's garnered a lot of attention lately. Uh, and not just lately, in the last few years, I should say. And we're doing more and more of this work. Um, and our clients are looking for, you know, bigger and better projects and, and ways to, to mitigate this, this, their carbon footprint, you know, and their greenhouse gas emissions. Um, but uh, let me just give you guys a little bit of a, uh, an overview of, of the topic. You know, it's, it's one of the many factors that contributes to the changes that we're seeing, and it's, it's these greenhouse gases such as carbon dioxide. There's also carbon monoxide, methane, a few other things. But, uh, you know, CO2, that's, that's one of the biggies that, that tends to trap heat in the atmosphere, which in turn leads to those, you know, those rising global temperatures that I just mentioned. Uh, there's an intergovernment panel on climate change. The IPCC has a report that came out in August uh, with the projection of global temperatures increasing, you know, uh, over the next couple of decades, which could lead to more catastrophic events. You know, we've seen uh, bigger and, and more intense storms, you know, droughts, you know, all sorts of things that get related to, you know, temperature changes that are related to what we believe is carbon in the atmosphere and that's why it's important to to look at these things from a, a carbon footprint standpoint um, uh, the goal essentially is to prevent this rise in temperature by taking a look at this stuff uh, NOAA, the national uh, oceanographic and atmospheric administration has the uh, national center for environmental information ncei uh, they confirmed 2020 was one of the you know most extreme years historically in terms of these events uh, you know, just look at how recent that was. That was last year, not to mention the other extreme that was going on, a, a global pandemic, which we, we're still not out of. Um, but to account for these impacts of greenhouse gas emissions, you know, uh, as a business, you know, they, they've got to do first what's an assessment. And that's that what I get, I said is that carbon footprint. You know, how much is your business or how much is your entity responsible for? What are you guys generating? You know, where is it coming from? All that fun stuff. Um, the idea is to, to set a goal, you know, I and mean, you, you can't set a goal uh, if you don't know where you stand in the first place. You know what I mean by goal is, you know, how do we reduce our emissions? What do we get it down to? You know, um, the initial assessment establishes that, that footprint we talked about uh, for the entity and measures the total amount of greenhouse gases that are generated from the various activities that businesses perform, you know, whether it's the actual work they do, it's transportation, you know, people coming and going from the office, how far is the commute, you know, what type of transportation they're using, what type of energy sources they're, 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 they're employing. Um, but to discuss this interesting topic in detail today, I've got, you know, two of our folks from PWGC. I've got um, a branch manager and project engineer from Seattle. I've got Marie Rangel-Mendez, and I've got our a senior project manager, Doreen, both of whom work in PWGC's environmental compliance unit. Um, and, and they're both accomplished professionals and experienced in, in the realm of carbon footprinting and the assessment, uh, carbon footprint assessment in a variety of different applications. So I'd like to welcome both of them. You know, I, I know, Marie, you've been with us for a long time. Doreen, we were talking this morning. You've, you know, went away for a little bit but came back. So, you know, together, you've, you've both been here for quite a while. Let's start with Doreen, you know, um, carbon footprinting. What's your initial thoughts on it? Thank you for having me here today. Um, like you said, it's a very hot, exciting topic. Um, 
fortunately, uh, you know, this is a big thing I care about. So it's good to see industries and companies really taking an interest in keeping an eye on their carbon footprint and seeking out ways to improve themselves. So along those lines, you know, I, I, I briefly talked about, you know, what it is, you know, where it comes from, but can you, you dive a little deeper into, you know, where does this carbon come from? What is a carbon footprint? Let's start with that. What is it? What does it measure? Okay, so a carbon footprint, as you mentioned earlier, it's an estimate of greenhouse gases generated from burning fuel to uh, heat your home, driving a vehicle, air conditioning. Um, there's many facets that could contribute to your carbon footprint, but overall it's a measurement of total greenhouse gases generated from whatever activity is being conducted in your home, your business, your industry. So Marie, we were just talking about, you know, carbon footprint. That's the nature, that's the whole topic of the show today, but uh, we were just getting into, you know, the definition of it, you know, and Doreen was going over, you know, fossil fuels and, and you know, like it could be natural gas, I don't know, there's propane in there, types of things, any type yep. of fuel that you're going to burn, obviously a lump of coal, there's gasolines, there's, uh, you know, fuel oils to heat your home and what else? Is there anything else that we're, we're missing that, that, that really contributes to these greenhouse gas emissions? What's, what are some of the big contributors? So when we're talking about um, carbon footprint, you know, we are talking about the greenhouse gases that trap heat in the atmosphere. So any activities that your business or you yourself do that create or generate those greenhouse gas emissions is what we're talking about carbon footprint. And it's divided into three scopes. So scope one is what you're directly emitting at your facility or your business. So that is the combustion of fossil fuels we just talked about. Any stationary um, combustion sources like your boilers, emergency generators, all types of fuels and owned vehicles. And that's what we were just discussing, you know, natural gas and all, all different fuels, propane, you name it, the whole gamut, what you're directly combusting. Facilities also have, you know, fugitive emission releases of refrigerants that are at your facility. Anything that's really going out of the stacks of your building are going to be considered scope one, and those are your emissions. Now, scope two are those emissions um, that are happening elsewhere, but are influenced by you and are directly related to the procurement of heating and cooling your building. Um, and the purchase of electricity. So that's scope two. So you yourself, like if you had an on-site um, generator, you're generating electricity for your facility, that's your scope one. But if you're purchasing electricity from the grid, that's your scope two. So the power plant scope one is in turn your scope two. Now scope three is everything else um, that your facility, all the business activities that you do that create greenhouse gas emissions. So from supply chain to the products that you purchase for your business and so forth. So it's all encompassing for scope three. So scopes one, two, and three um, in a whole are your carbon footprint. However, it's uh, predominantly scopes one and scope two when you're looking at it. And if you're volunteering reporting, and with scope three, because it's so vast, uh, we really look at select activities, those that are measurable and you can obtain accurate data. Uh, data being, you know, what your facility has to come up with some numbers. And in addition to that, you know, are there reliable emission rates 
associated with that activity. Oh, interesting. So, you know, of all that stuff that you just mentioned, right, um, is one type of fossil fuel, say, worse than another? I mean, what's, uh, nobody's, you know, in their office building burning coal or wood right now, but I mean, they're getting their fuel from maybe a, a, a diesel power plant or obviously hydroelectric, nuclear, or it could be wind, solar, whatever, but you know, what's, you know, of all those fossil fuels, which is maybe the worst type? You know, which one do you really want to avoid? Definitely your fuel oils. And we have seen, you know, number six go away, number two, and now we're, you know, a diesel, number one or number two. So those heavier distillate oils are the ones that burn, I should say, I guess, for lack of better terms, dirtier, not as clean. So fuel oil, emits about 30% more greenhouse gases than natural gas. So okay. those are the ones that we want to try to steer, steer clear of if possible. What's the alternative? What do we recommend to people to you know, avoid burning these fossil fuels? Uh, you know, fuel switching. A lot of facilities have switched to natural gas only. Um, there's now a momentum for electrification. You know, electrifying buildings, there's a lot of conversation going around that since uh, and we'll t you know i know we'll discuss this at some point but you know with new york state's clcpa and trying to decarbonize the electric sector if our power plants and utilities are supplying power from renewable energy uh, which you know is uh, essentially zero greenhouse gas emissions by mm -hmm. electrifying the building there will, you know, will help you with your carbon footprint and will help facilities get to a zero emission or a carbon neutral for their building. So that's, you know, some of the methods that we discuss and some of the facilities we working are working with are going towards. Oh, so the natural gas, methane, right? That's a little less, I don't know has a smaller carbon footprint than the, the other stuff we talked about, like the diesels and the fuel oils? Yes. So with the, about 80% in the atmosphere is carbon dioxide, uh, followed by methane. Uh, methane does have, um, I think Doreen mentioned it earlier, the global warming potentials of other greenhouse gases. So when we're talking about a carbon footprint, uh, it's carbon dioxide and the other greenhouse gases. So the other greenhouse gases, there's a global warming potential. So the common unit of measure for a carbon footprint is carbon dioxide equivalents. Okay. So methane is equivalent to about, so one ton of methane, uh, depending on the global warming potential that you use, I think the current one right now is 25 tons. So one ton of methane is equal to 25 tons of carbon dioxide. So if wow. you have one ton of each, uh, that would equal 26 tons of CO2e. Whoa, that's more than I expected, for sure. Interesting. So what types of entities require a carbon footprint analysis? You know, at PWGC, we've, we've worked with the various types of clients, but which ones have come to us requesting this? Which ones are actually required to do it? Um, you know, and how long have we been doing this for? So as you mentioned, not everybody is required to report, um, but since 2010, per US EPA 40 CFR, that's Code of Federal Regulations, Part 98, um, there are certain industries that reporting is mandatory. 
and those would include any industries with carbon emissions greater than 25,000 metric tons per year. And then in addition to that, there would, would be manufacturers of vehicles and fossil fuel and industrial gas suppliers. So right now there are approximately 8,000 industries that are reporting annually as required and anybody can look up that information on the EPA greenhouse gas reporting website. So at PW Grocer, we do mandatory reporting for healthcare facilities and we do greenhouse gas assessments, voluntary assessments for a variety of industries, obviously including healthcare, uh, bulk fueling, we've done some financial institutions, some manufacturer, manufacturing facilities so the uh it's a pretty wide variety it is a wide variety and you know what what's interesting is marie brought up all those like scope one scope two scope three when you say that twenty five thousand metric tons does that include all three scopes or is it just limited to one how, how does that work uh that would be scope, scope one Certain industries that, uh, as Doreen mentioned, are required to, and then subpart C are facilities that have stationary combustion sources. So okay. those stationary combustion sources have to report um, the fossil fuels. And on an annual basis, if they're above 25,000 metric tons, they do need to report that. So we've actually had a couple of facilities that once you're below that threshold for two years, I believe, on the third year, uh, you're no longer required to report. But that was the first onset of uh, regulatory requirements for submitting your greenhouse gas. And, you know, really in the intent behind it is to figure out where the U.S. Um, is with their greenhouse gas emissions. And that inventory really hit the largest contributors uh, for greenhouse gas emissions. We touched on a little bit about this, you know, especially when I was diving into the scopes again. You know, when we're conducting these footprint analyses, you know, what types of emissions are, are actually being recorded? You know, and how, how deep do we dive? Like you said, you know, somebody may voluntarily want to undertake it. You know, do they go down to, you know, the level of I've got, you know, whatever, 20 employees that have an average commute of like 15 miles and they burn this many gallons of fuel and it generates this much going out their tailpipe. I mean, where does it begin? Where does it end? You know, how do you decide? You know, we be begin with a conversation on, um, you know, what data that they have available. Um, you know, scope one, scope two, we always, uh, you know, shoot to get those emissions. And for the most part, um, you know, people that come aboard and come to us are or can obtain that data very easily, uh, or if not, you know, we'll assist them with that. So we really always want to try to make sure that we hit scopes one and scope two. Scope three are very selective because more often than not, scope three for businesses actually are much larger than your scope two. You know, the value uh, of the supply chain, uh, employee transportation, it is uh, quite vast. So we work with the facilities to determine which ones we can hone in on. And that is based on, you know, what's measurable, what they feel comfortable in getting reliable data, and what reliable emission rates are out there. So scope three is, you know, very selective. And then, you know, before we begin, we also have a conversation with the facility, you know, what's, what's your goal? You know, the intent of this is to figure out where you stand today. And we have a lot of facilities who have been doing it for years, which is, is awesome, right? Mm -hmm. Because once you know where you stand, you're allowed 
you allow yourself to set goals. What are realistic goals? Maybe there are some far-reaching goals, uh, but those far-reaching goals that facilities um, are setting, they actually are reaching them. So it's really just an intent. You can't, you can't set a goal without knowing where you stand today. Well, and that brings up my next question. You know, you know, what is the goal of determining a given entity's carbon footprint? Why would they want to do this? You know, let's just say it's somebody that's not required to. Like, um, I remember we've even done one internally at PW Grocer, right? You had everyone filling out stuff yeah. like, you know, what their commute is, who mm-hmm. takes the train, how many, how many air flights you take, and all that fun stuff. But why? What's the purpose? Why is this important? I think it's, you know, it's really a common and unified goal of everyone to reduce environmental impact and, you know, reducing um, air pollutants, breathing clean air, no matter which way you look at it, is always a good thing. And in business, becoming more efficient means lowering costs. And over the decades, the realization that, you know, sustainable practices really do lead to lower costs. Um, I think it's a really exciting time and has been. Um, There's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of momentum in the government uh, sector you know, where we see the, this movement of policies and, you know, going for the heavy hitters, the tons and the electric and transportation. Um, we also see momentum in businesses. And what I see the goal is really everyone coming together on a personal and business level, really trying to reduce our impact. Um, that's where I see uh, the goal for the businesses that are coming to us and for us internally, you know, anytime that we can become more efficient and reduce our environmental impact, that's always going to be a positive. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, the, the more we can get out of the atmosphere, and it should be everybody's <laughs> personal and professional responsibility because, as we've said it before on this show, we only have one Earth, right? There's no planet B, as they say. There's, um, you know, I think education is is a huge part with all facets of life, um, especially, uh, I think, with climate change. And uh, I recently, I say recently, but a couple years ago, you know, the product seven generation, that is a principle, um, you know, philosophy for, you know, decisions we make today should result in a sustainable world seven generations into our future. So I, I think everyone is coming together because, as you mentioned, we there's no planet B. Um, you know, yep. let's come together and, you know, <clears throat> anytime we can reduce, as I mentioned, I use it a lot, reduce our impact. It's a good thing. And we're finding in businesses that it's also translating to lowering costs. And on a marketing perspective, also for a manufacturer, customers like to see that they're hiring or buying a product from a company that is doing their best to be green and environmentally conscientious. It, it helps. It's a that, telling Doreen, point. that's a very good point, the whole sustainability aspect. Totally agree. Uh, an- another topic that we at PW Grocery know a little bit about, um, carbon neutrality. You know, we're, we're often talking about striving for that. You know, perhaps some of our listeners aren't as uh, informed on it as we are, but can you ladies explain what what it's meant by carbon neutrality, please? Yeah. Um, Carbon neutrality is defined as the state of balance between anthropogenic or human activity caused and uh, emissions of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere 
and those greenhouse gas emissions being removed. So whatever we're putting out into the atmosphere, we are removing that. So the removal of carbon dioxide can be done through either nature-based technologies, like uh, you know planting trees and forests and um, maintaining our ecosystems, or through technology-based removals, like direct air capture, um, carbon capturing and sequestering. So that is you know carbon neutral, where we want to. So whatever our contribution is, uh, going into the air, we want to remove those. And what we talk a lot about, you know, with clients, you know, is the hierarchy of mitigating greenhouse gases. And that would be, you know, first we want to try to avoid emissions altogether, right? So if we could find a means to avoid emissions from uh, happening, then you don't have to remove those. Obviously, that's not possible for everyone to do. But the first thing we want to look at is try to avoid. Uh, secondly, you know, then reduce. So by 2050, if we can substantially reduce what's going into the atmosphere, we'll have less to remove it. You know, that's that balance where we put in, we're going to take out the same amount. Uh, then looking to restoring ecosystems. And then lastly, we would look at offsetting. Um, and carbon neutral, we're really uh, looking at scopes one and scope two. All right. Well, you brought up some good points, Marie, you know, um, like technology-based mitigation. You know, I, I took a course in my graduate studies was air pollution, right? And we looked at, you know, theoretically, we looked at, you know, like I say, a power plant or a chemical refinery or a fuel type of an oil refinery where they've got these massive stacks and they've got this, you know, stuff going up the stack and coming out and how do we control that you know it's it's easy when you have like a, a point source like that it's a, just a stack or a series of stacks that you can capture what's going up and run it through some sort of as i said technology be it a scrubber or maybe a, a carbon removal system like a some sort of filter what other technologies are out there to mitigate what's being released to the atmosphere. With the 1970s oil crisis, there became, you know, an energy revolution. And that's what we're seeing, you know, right now. There's, a, like I said, a lot of momentum happening. It's fluid and there's moving targets, but we're seeing studies like trying to capture natural gas, you know, from landfills, from farms, and then reusing that. Um, you know, it, we're a bit away from, like I mentioned, zero emissions. So with the electric sector, they're trying to, um, you know, really harness on renewable energy sources to reduce that way. And then for other sources like natural gas, you know, what are means that we can capture that and reuse? You know, there are obviously setbacks, you know, with capturing or uh, re using renewable natural gas. There's not enough that we can, um, capture to meet demand you know the supply and demand plays into everything here but there's a lot of innovative uh, technologies that are coming uh, to capture and then just efficiency so efficient boilers efficient generators efficiencies are really assisting with um, reducing the combustion of fuel so in many areas, we're seeing momentum of technology driving emissions down. 
That's all good stuff, you know. And what about um, you know alternative ener energy sources? You know, we we do a lot of this at PW Grocer. Also, there's solar, there's wind. The one that's near and dear to us is geothermal. Uh, you guys seen a lot of movement with that to help with this reduce these carbon footprints? Yeah, I think I briefly mentioned the CLCPA, which is New York's you Climate did. Leadership and, and Community Protection Act. And they are trying to decarbonize the electric sector. And they have some pretty uh, amazing, aggressive targets. By 2030, they want 70% renewable energy. So we're looking at a 3,000 megawatt energy storage by 2030, a 9,000 megawatt offshore wind by 2035. Um, they also have a target by 2040 for uh, New York's electric sector to be 100% zero emission. Um, I think they're looking at a seven or 6,000 megawatt for solar. So they've got some aggressive targets and you know, if we can get that get there by 2040, um, I think that would be, you know, an, an amazing feat that New York has done. And they really have set the precedence uh, for having such aggressive um, targets. Impressive, you know, and also the electrification of vehicles. And I know last time I came out and saw you, we were driving around in an electric car, which I'm sure you still have and are still rolling around in. <laughs> Right. Uh, yep. Getting those tailpipes off the road will help, too. I know. And when I spoke about, you know, clean air, definitely have uh, grown accustomed to, you know, no tailpipe emissions, become more sensitive to, um, you know, the combustion from those tailpipes. You know, it's yeah. like I said, you know, any anytime we can, you know, have em no emissions, it's a good thing because it it in turn will lead to clean air. Uh, I mean, even the automobile manufacturers, a lot of them are going to be going fully electric in the coming years. You know, no more combustion engines, period. You know, it's going to be interesting to see. I do like my big jacked up truck, but it does spit out a lot of emissions. So we'll see what happens. That That's a momentum happening in New York as well on the transportation sector. As I mentioned earlier, you know, policy goes towards the tons and the tons mm -hmm. are in transportation and electricity. They attribute to over half of the United States greenhouse gases. So by, you know, electrifying vehicles and getting the utilities on renewable energy sources, we can have a huge impact on reducing greenhouse gas yeah, emissions. The, 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 the thing that's got a lot of people concerned is the charge time and, you know, how far I can go on a charge. And I know there's some really, really smart people out there working on this in terms of the, the battery storage and how quick it can charge these things. And then it's going to be, well, I still can't drive down to Florida. There's no place to stop to fill up, you know, to charge, you know. So we've got to work on the infrastructure. That's a yeah. whole other discussion, but it's it's probably a good topic for a future podcast, but which I'm looking forward to. But thank you. Um, also, yes. from a legal perspective, is there legis legislation in place, you know, federal, state, local, that's, that's driving a reduction of greenhouse gases? I know you mentioned some of it, Marie, um, which we, we talked about the CLCPA, correct? But is there anything else? I know there's like yes. local law in 97 in New York City and a, and a few others. Can you, can you comment on that for our listeners? Yes, there's uh, a lot of initiatives. Uh, local law 97 is New York City. And so that sets emission limits or metric tons of carbon dioxide uh, equivalents per square foot for 10 building categories uh, for existing building 
existing buildings that are greater than 25,000 square feet. So this law is actually setting, um, you know, an emission intensity limit that they must meet by 2024, uh, which is great. Um, you know, we're seeing that on a local level, state level, uh, we talked about CLCPA. Mm -hmm. um, on a federal level, we are seeing, so the Office of, I don't have to, um, remember my acronyms here, we live in a world of acronyms. So oh, the environmental the federal... field, we are loaded with them. <laughs> yep, without a doubt. <laughs> the Federal Department of Human, of Health and Human Services, okay, that's it. The Federal Department of Health and Human Services established the um, Office of Climate Change and Health Equity. This was recently established uh, in August of 2021 to address the impact of climate change on human health. So we're seeing this, you know, through, you know, we've had a tremendous amount of costly climate related disasters in 2020. We broke records on that. Yeah. So this office, you know, is just established to really um, help mitigate. And I'm, oh, you know, it, I'm not sure what will transpire, we will see, but I think this is, you know, a, a great office that just established and you know as i mentioned before there's just so much um momentum going and the race to zero the race to zero there's you know cities and countries and governments getting on board to this and this is to meet you know um carbon neutrality by 2050 and this goal is set in place because the intergovernmental panel on climate change, the IPCC just released their sixth assessment report. And, you know, we're on a pathway for global temperature increase of 1.5 degrees Celsius. So in an effort to, um, to prevent that global temperature increase, we are seeing the momentum, the race to zero, you know, everyone talks about, you know, we have 2030 goals and 2050. And with this race to get to a good point where, you know, we are uh, removing, well, we're reducing what we're putting in the atmosphere and we're removing so we have this balance to try to avoid this increase in global uh, temperature. We're seeing, you know, like I said, there's just so much momentum, but we're seeing a lot of methodologies and guidance trying to align and harmonize because some clients you know reach out to us and some are frustrated there's just a plethora of information out there and methodologies so if someone is thinking about doing this and hasn't hasn't yet i would just say not to get overwhelmed with all the information and to really it's all about um, being transparent and especially when you're doing your greenhouse gases we work with our clients to make sure that all of our methodologies are stated and when you are looking for goals, you know, try to reach those, reach for those that are attainable for your business. And then also have some kind of far reaching goals because we're all working together. Your scope too is in line with the electric sector. So as they become more efficient and their greenhouse gas emissions go down, it will in turn, you know, assist you with your scope too. So I think, you know, all of us coming together in this momentum is, going to lead to to good change and I, i'm optimistic 
I, uh, Murray, I am too. I'm looking to see a big impact out there sooner rather than later. You know, and hopefully some of these local laws that we just discussed will help move that along faster. You guys seeing any type of, uh, you know, if you're seeing corporations or the like uh, playing a greater role in developing climate-friendly infrastructure like we talked about, or you know, people starting to build these recharging stations for employees to drive to work or anything else they're doing, what's going on out there? I haven't seen um, anything with recharging stations, but... Yes, we've seen a lot of clients um, doing fuel switching and okay. installing more efficient equipment and, you know, just paying attention to what's going on to reduce their emissions. Marie, anything to add on that? Yeah, a lot of, yeah you know, a lot of people have switched to um, LED lighting. Mm -hmm. There's utilities out there providing, you know, payback programs. Uh, just actually spoke to a facility out here yesterday in the healthcare sector. There's a, a great payback program here. So there was um, a lot of money they received back from the LED lighting that they replaced throughout their health system. There's also um, programs out there, you know, for checking valves, uh, looking at water usage. You know, there's a, a plethora of programs out there for that give incentive monetary. And then there's kind of incentives out there that are goal-related. Goal uh, goal-related being, you know, kind of competition with one another, who can reduce more. There's a lot of really cool, innovative programs that are happening. I, um, you know, we have facilities like you, I mentioned with the vehicles uh, out in Washington, as well as areas in New York, you do see that popping up. What I see a lot of is community drive, which in turn translates you know, to business. I think it's just kind of catching on with everyone, just uh, unique, innovative ways uh, to help reduce that impact. And we see it all the way into like, you know, food waste, you know, composting. I said, there's there's just a lot of momentum that's happening, and um, it's it's an exciting time. Yeah, Maria, you brought up a couple of things that we've discussed them in past podcasts, like with the, the geothermal systems, which are great. They help with the carbon footprint and reduce energy use, and they're efficient, and you know you save money in the long run operating. But they're expensive to install. But there are tax incentives, and there's also rebates from say like uh, local utility companies, so that's help you know, encourage these types of technologies to, to get us off the, you know, our massive consumption of energy, you know, especially with geothermal, take you off the, the burning oil to heat the place, you know, it's great. Geothermal works, right? We know it works. Um, so you, if you can use something that's already in place, a well and existing, and, you know, I just think that's an exciting technology, um, but it's kind of like it can either be a bust or it can really save our planet. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope the latter. We save this place, right? We only get one shot at this. I want to thank you both for your time, Marie, Doreen. Excellent. I am again Paul Boyce, CEO and President of PWGC. This is the Environmental Echo. And if you guys have any questions, comments, or thoughts you want to add, you can always reach out to us at our website, pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. And we look forward to hearing from you guys. And, um, you know, that's that's it from us today. That's car Carbon Footprint. Real interesting stuff. And, uh, again, thanks, Doreen and Marie. Take care. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Marie. Thank you.